Welcome to Horror Bites on Safe Room, the show where we highlight short indie horror games and the people who make them. I am not sure if I'm in a JRPG or a survival horror, and he is getting used to the taste of minty freshness. I'm Neil Bolt, and he is Jay Krieger. How goes it, Jay? Pretty good, man. We have uh, quite the opposite types of experiences this week, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think that they are two experiences that kind of dabble in their subgenres in very, very unique ways. Mm, very much so. Because uh, this week we are continuing our Steam Next Fest selections with two more delightful demos of uh, some future indie horror titles. And while Next Next Fest has ended by the point you've listened to this, uh, these games are still on Steam where you can wishlist them. So if you like the sound of them, go wishlist them. As ever, links for both games will be included in the show notes. So first this week, Jay, it's gargling, it's gonzo, it's mouthwashing. <laughs> Tell us about mouthwashing. Yeah, so mouthwashing is from developer Wrong Organ, and these are the devs who had previously made How Fish is Made in its sequel, which we covered on uh, Horror Bites earlier uh, this year, or either at the end of last year, perhaps. <laughs> That's the thing about Horror Bites, <laughs> trying to remember exactly when I talked about what. But It was last you, year, yeah. yeah. Was, uh, with mouthwashing, you know, a very different kind of experience, but one that I think continues with what is kind of in Wrong Organ's uh, lexicon, I suppose, of the types of horror games they like to make. And this time around has nothing to do with fish. Some people might be surprised. Uh, this time it's about five crew members of the Pony Express freight ship, the Tupler, that have become stranded in space and must contend with the reality of their situation, uh, which is very vague. But at the same time, I think that, you know, mouthwashing, what it does is it presents this kind of fairly standard premise of people that are in space that then become stranded and they have to contend with the reality of how much food do we have? How much oxygen does our ship still have? But the way in which wrong organ goes about telling what might seem like a familiar story is utilizing a really unique approach to, I think, narrative structure and also this very singular um, sort of satire, dark humor, and blending that with the different tropes of horror Mm -hmm. uh, makes for an experience that Right off the bat, it's like a 10-minute demo. It's probably one of the shorter ones I played, but it does a very good job of instilling in the player, like, this is a very desperate situation, and you're going to have people that are going to react in ways that might seem routine to being stranded and having to worry about, you know, starving to death or suffocating out in space. But then you have these characters that just come from this eclectic background, budding personalities, and at the same time, You know, like I'd mentioned a minute ago, the playing around with the sort of narrative structure was really unique because, you know, you begin the game and you get this little message that says five days before crash. And then later on throughout the demo, you pick up two months after crash. And the way in which it kind of plays around with events, giving the player little breadcrumbs about what may have happened, what may have caused them to become stranded in space. But at the same time, the way in which scenes bleed together is really cool. It's kind of like mm. you're in this one time period and then it's almost like you're stepping through a virtual reality uh, sort of display where all of a sudden the surrounding around the character kind of dissipates and then a new one bleeds into frame. Yeah, like a screen tearing effect. Yeah, and I thought that that was a really good way to kind of reinforce this idea of like, okay, maybe this is not like an untra- untraditional uh, or unreliable narrator, but more importantly, it's an untraditional structure that mm. is going to kind of piece together this mystery in a way that is not as conventional. Um, And I think that for me, like that was the most important bit about the narrative. It's like, I've played plenty of sci-fi horror games that it's like, yeah, you're stuck in space, 
but seeing the ways in which you can kind of like lead the player on or give them these very bizarre little breadcrumbs that in the moment don't mean anything, but seeing how they play out, um, you know, whether that's the next scene or several scenes from there was uh, really intriguing, I think, and a unique spin on something that was familiar out the gate, but overall is indicative, you know, of Wrong Oregon's kind of very unique approach to game design and uh, world building. What did you think of this one, though? Because uh, before I get into more details. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think you're right there to sort of point out, you know, taking familiar ideas and shaping them into this very distinct, unique viewpoint. Uh, as you said, we saw that with the previous games as well. Yeah, where it was like, oh, this is like that game, or this is like that game, and I love that. And to give it this just very grim sort of spin, I would say is the best way of putting it. Um, and here, you know, being the whole spaceship, the the arse end of space and drifting and everything, you know, it's the ship in the ocean sort of tale, you know, which I really felt quite interesting to be watching the terror, the first season of the terror, and then playing in this because you know it's like it's like a very <laughs> trippy sci-fi version of that effectively for <laughs> large portions of this so I, I love those little tiny coincidences that you can get uh, when you're just dif- different media like that um you know at first it does seem to be very playful the idea of like doing these things that are very obvious like the oh it's the old go down a corridor and things go weird thing and you know it which is what you expect and for a minute you're thinking hmm yeah i know this developer can do it a bit more than this so feels like it's going to go somewhere with this which inevitably does i think it's not you know being big billy big boots with it and being smug about what it's doing it's very much a case of like it's pretty much the same as you would expect it's just there's these tiny little twists in presentation and in how it's delivered I think that really give it just straight away a flavor of its very own. Uh, um, not a flavor you much want to taste in reality, I'd imagine, but still a flavor. And I, don't, I yearn for the dreamlike games. And, you know, it's one of those that really does just take into those transitions, especially, you know, just do have that sort of dreamlike state of just one scene stepping away into another and, not being sure what's going on or what the architectural structure of the place is any given time. And as you said, the jumps between time periods is just something quite fascinating, you know, like just constant. It's like you are in just this discombobulated mind, like piecing together different fragments of a story and like, and you're not, you're not a natural storyteller in this narrative. And you're basically just going, Oh, and this bit happened. Oh, and then I go back here and like, which, you know, very unconventional, obviously, for a normal storytelling. You, know, you can do it in ways that would be deemed smarter, I suppose, if you were to do what, say, Memento does and have you know piecemeal it backwards. But I found it quite refreshing to have this sort of, you know, even in this small chunk of the game that we've seen now, already it's just going interesting places I didn't expect. And... Obviously, there's going to be room for more growth, which is perhaps the most exciting thing about it, that it could just be something else entirely by the time we get to the the next portion of the game beyond this demo. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say is, you know, I think that with something like their original game, How Fish is Made, I was like, okay, Katamari gameplay framework, 
every single aspect of this is very bizarre. So I basically am anticipating something increasingly bizarre to happen. And, you know, I think that it's smart for something like mouthwashing, which is going to be this full-fledged experience, to take perhaps a step back and say, let's give them something that is a little more familiar for the foundation, a first-person sci-fi horror exploring this basically like Space Hulk ship. Yeah. But that conventional setting, I think, really strengthens what has made um, the developers such a standout in terms of their storytelling and their offbeat sort of sense of humor in that you really don't know what to expect. And playing around with the player's recollection, I suppose, of events is something that has me really, really excited to see yeah. how much weirder this can get. Because if you're going to have the ability for the player to interact with all these characters and who knows if there's sort of a more of a survival aspect to that, seeing how all those things come together is really exciting and has me uh, eagerly anticipating mouthwashing, which I believe is slated for quarter one of this year. So yeah, two in a row, hollow body and this in the first quarter. Ooh. Certainly yeah. experiences that we'll be returning to once they are, uh, you know, released in all of their uh, sci-fi horror glory. Yeah. And another example of doing a demo, right. On the indie space, I have seen a couple of them sort of mention that, you know, about the same sort of feeling I have about demos. You know, it's hard with certain games to give the right slice without giving away too much at the beginning, give away going too far in the middle where you kind of can leave people a bit cold about what you're doing. And if you've got the right solid start of a game, I think you can do something quite wild with it. And I think with the both games we've covered so far in the last couple, Absolutely. They work perfectly for the demo market. Okay, well, uh, before we go and take a retro trip, it's a quick swig of Aquafresh during this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Horror Bites. I picked a game demo here that I kept a keen eye on uh, before it came to Next Fest, which was Croak Country by SFP Games. Uh, in this game, it is the year 1990. It has been two years since the mysterious disappearance of Edward Crow and the abrupt closure of his theme park. Uh, the titular Croak Country. Uh, but your arrival has broken the silence. Mara Forest. If you want answers, you will have to venture deep into the darkness of Crow Country to find them. Da, da, da. As they go. Um, so the interesting thing about this, um, and the thing that caught my eye, obviously, when it was first sort of announced, comes down to the, the, the presentation and the perspective of it, which is this mix of you know PS1 JRPG, you know, Final Fantasy VII, I suppose, being the best uh, sort of likeness with yeah, survival horror, kind of Parasite Eve sort of thing, I'd say more than anything else, if we're going to sort of have a comparison point, which you know, ironically was part JRPG in itself. So maybe it is the most apt point. Um, so that straight away was like, oh, okay, I, I like that. Um, and so the aesthetic of this game is kind of isometric. You can remove the camera around. Um, so it's no fixed camera thing. It's no behind the shoulder. It is very much viewed on this isometric plane which again i think i've mentioned this about a few games before 
Remind me of the old net arrows things you would get on demo discs from the official PlayStation magazine where you know, indie developers then had created these games that felt like they, ooh, you know, if we're a bit more juiced in this, this could be something. But this these kind of games feel like the next evolution of that. And you know, a creepy old theme park is a setting that has been done a few times in survival horror. And hey, why not? It's a good one. It can work really well. Uh, the one that has been made for this game is interesting in how it ties into the story, visually how it's put together as well because of this very chunky sort of art style. It means everything has simplistic detail, I suppose is the best way to put it, where you, you get a real sense of everything, everything looks clear and colorful and concise. Um, yeah, really, really making the most of those polygons, if you will, I would say. Um, and yeah, otherwise it just plays quite similar to most sort of classic survival horror games, you know, the, the turning and aiming thing, the slowness, you know, the item interaction with some amusing notes here and there. And and the enemies being these just sort of low res, low poly nightmares that um give you know, just enough distinct shape about them to give you an idea of what they are, but because of you know low quality of the graphics means that you don't get the full picture lets you put some imagination into it which is something that obviously gets missed as we go into the more detail heavy sort of period that we're in now to um again an intriguing slice to start off with again another game that really worked fairly well i'd say with this kind of demo format um probably because again it's taking on that sort of old school approach to what it is and leaves you with just enough in terms of breadcrumbs to follow on if you want to go and play the game beyond yeah i mean having liked the look of it before i was intrigued to play it and in in the playing i think yeah it's got something there i really just want to see more with this one i think to see where it's going to go how did you get on with it yeah you know for this one and we've covered plenty of you know homages to classic survival horror games so not to say that I'm not open to those types of experiences, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I can only go through so many haunted houses and, uh, you know, police station, dilapidated police stations after a while. And the most exciting aspect of this game for me was the fact that it is that uh, amusement park yeah. sort of setting, right? Which is uh, kind of reminiscent of something like Silent Hill 3, which is what I kind of had in the back of my mind while I was yeah, playing through this. Definitely. And I think that, you know, what was immediately an example of utilizing a setting smartly is that the puzzles that are in this demo are all tied to the theme park itself. Um, and so that has me excited to see the further that the player explores the park, how many other unique, weird little puzzles are you going to get? Or how many animatronics are you going to come across that become puzzles because they've been damaged or you know various states of dilapidation? So right off the bat, I thought that that was a, a strong aspect of this that gives it a little bit of identity that is a little more original than just, again, another haunted house, another dilapidated uh, standard kind of building or house or whatnot. Um, I think also what I really liked was the fact that it has that isometric uh, shifting of the environments and how you can swing the camera because it gives more depth to the environments themselves. Yes. I actually didn't realize that because I was careless and didn't click on one of the notes that you come across early on that tells you you can do that. And all of a sudden I'm backtracking through an environment and I'm realizing, oh, okay, you can't kind of just wander and not explore every inch of this very limited environment for the demo. 
because of the fact that you're going to miss key rooms and key items in these things. Um, and I think that that ultimately made me soak in the atmosphere and the environment a little bit more specifically when you're going into a room and you're like, well, I don't see any items that I can pick up. But the fact that there's going to be key items or key notes that are on walls that you are, require you to shift the camera angle. Yeah. Um, it made me intrigued and excited to see the ways in which that's going to play into further environments. The more they get fleshed out, what other little secrets could be hidden within those environments. Um, and there's a potential for overall, just like environmental storytelling, which I was a fan of, um, you know, early on you come across a code for something that's just sprawled on the ground, but you have to shift the camera a little bit so you can read it more clearly. Little things like that, little tidbits. Yeah. That I thought were uh, just sort of, a, a again, making the environment as important, if not more important than the sort of background of the character that you're playing as, which is by all accounts, you know, just kind of, it's Jill Valentine. It's a cop, yeah. right? Um, and so to place more emphasis on interacting with the environment in more ways than just walking through it simply um, was an aspect that I was really interested to see how they're going to flesh out more. Um, I will say, you know, the only aspect of this that gave me a little bit of pause was the fact that for combat, you have free aiming, which mm. if it was a little more tied to like traditional, let's say Resident Evil, right? Where it's, okay, you can either aim up, down, or you just kind of yeah. shift your arms. With this being completely free aiming, but having that still isometric viewpoint, when combat got a little hectic, I was fighting three zombies at once, I think. Sometimes it can be difficult to line up your shots. And so yeah. even with the laser sight for the pistol that you can find in like a bathroom or something, um, that might just have to be with one of those things where it's like, okay, they're going to tighten up the handling of that perhaps. Um, but at the same time, that was like, oh, one of those things that I'm going to keep an eye on when we get the final release. Yeah. Because um, I thought that that was a little more difficult than it needed to be in terms of, you know, survival horror emphasis is on. You're going to get hit hard and you've got a limited amount of resources. If I'm fighting against the perspective almost in free aim, yeah. that might make some elements of this or moments of this game a little more complicated than they need to be. Um, but at the end of the day, again, when the atmosphere is as strong as this is, when the environment is as intriguing as this is and the sort of emphasis being placed on um, puzzles and tying it to that environment. I mean, this is again, one of those homages that comes out, goes out of its way to do something that gives it its own unique identity. Uh, and I'm very excited to see how this gets, you know, churned out into that final full fledged uh, game. Should it have an estimation for when it's going to come out this year or? Yes. Um, 2024, just a vague 2024 is the release date window for it at the minute which again i think small team so understandable you don't want to yeah commit yourself too much especially if you feel there's work to be done the demo may yeah, inform um so yeah we're wrapping things up for now and of course if you are a developer of an indie horror game demo concept or game jam entry we would love to hear from you you can drop us a dm at safe pod on twitter or safe at gmail.com for email if you'd like to be highlighted or interviewed on the show Jay, it's been a good one. We'll see you next week for one last Next Fest edition of Horror Bites. Uh, in the meantime, we'll keep searching for more.